Thank you all for coming. It is my prayer today and has been my prayer since Wendy and I first started talking about this, that everything you hear, everything you are prompted to consider by what you hear, everything that you remember of what is said and done today will be particularly and uniquely anointed to speak to you as an individual. Where you are right now, what burdens you are carrying, what joys you are experiencing, what questions you are asking. It is not by chance, accident, or coincidence that all or any one of us is here today. And when we leave, I pray that we go not just refreshed, but renewed, not just encouraged, but emboldened, not just fed, but made ever more hungry for the lives that Christ has for us. That said, for all of you and especially for me, let's take one big, deep, long breath, and then I want each of you to look at somebody else at your table and say, I'm glad to be here and I'm glad you are too. And I believe you. You all look happy to be here. The theme verse for our time together today is Hebrews 6.19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, safe and secure. When Wendy and I first started sharing about themes and topics and, and then settled on this one, I started seeing anchors, as you would expect, everywhere. I was at Hobby Lobby one day, and I counted at least 20 different anchor-themed items for sale. Candles, frames, bookends, and wall art of all different kinds. Some of those items, in fact, I have seen at various places around the church the last week, as this wonderful team has put together this event. What I found at Hobby Lobby, however, was not, as my daddy would say, Ned in the first reader, compared to what I found on Pinterest, where I limited my search to anchor-themed items that actually had our verse on them. Phone cases, shoes, pillows, t-shirts, bracelets, keychains, yard flags, mugs, tote bags, and tattoos. So I, as a writer myself, have to offer kudos to the writer of Hebrews in choosing as a description for hope a metaphor that is good not just from the standpoint of painting a clear picture, but one that has also stood the stand of time. I am, though, after being almost hobby-lobbied and Pinterested to death by looking at anchors, wondering whether we have a clear picture of what the writer was actually saying. The anchor about which he was talking was not decorative, as all of these lovely anchors are. It was utilitarian. It was not beautiful. It was ugly and slimy and barnacle-covered. It did not get bought on sale with a 40% off coupon and then relegated to the churchyard sale when home decorating trends changed. That anchor, that hope, like God's promise, God's oath, was and is unchanging and trustworthy. 
So, let's begin. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, safe and secure. It is such a familiar scripture. It is one of those that if you're like me and you grew up in one of those every time the church doors opened, families, you probably memorized it pretty early for the competition for scripture memorization in the youth group. I don't know if youth groups still do that, but I'm old enough that I can remember it well and I can assure you I was incredibly competitive. <laughs> Along with be ye kind to one another and thy word is in lap unto my feet and Jesus wept, this scripture was one of the go-tos. You always knew you had that in the back pocket because you'd memorized that one early on. Now, I want to digress here for just a minute and ask y'all a question. Am I the only person in the room who was a grown woman before she realized that Jesus wept had nothing to do with the Garden of Gethsemane? I, I, was, I was grown before I realized that that was actually Jesus crying over his friend Lazarus, not over himself. And there's a really big lesson there, but we'll save that for another time. At any rate, being able to recite, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, means very little unless each of us understands what it means. And not just what it means in a theological sense, but what it means for each of us individually. When everything you have ever depended on, trusted in, clung to, has proven, is proving, less than dependable, less than trustworthy, less clingable. <coughs> Excuse me. To move toward that understanding, we are going to sort of take the verse apart and put it back together, and we're going to start with this question, what is hope exactly? <coughs> Whoa, it's not that. Well, we know that hope springs eternal. It's what makes that little old ant think he can move the rubber tree plant. And it is, according to Emily Dickinson, the thing with feathers that perches in the soul. <coughs> Sorry. Thank you. Hope is a town in Arkansas that was the birthplace of the 42nd President of the United States. And as some of you parents know, it is a scholarship program. In 2017, it was the 286th most popular name for a girl. But somehow, my sisters, it doesn't feel like that's enough for something that is supposed to make my soul feel safe and secure. It doesn't feel like enough in a world where we are constantly reminded of our impotence when we are watching thank you when we are watching the advance of a hurricane across the Atlantic when we look at our politicians and find that it is easier for them to yell at each other than to offer the common courtesy of gracious listening where our elementary school children are practicing active shooter drills If a definition of hope is all we have, then we are going to be, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, of all women most miserable. But a definition, praise God, is not all we have. 
We are blood-bought daughters of Christ, and the hope to which we are entitled as a result is much more than that. So let's set aside trying to define hope for a moment, and as good students of the Word, look at the context in which this verse is written. The identity of the writer of Hebrews is not known. For a long time, people thought it might have been written by Paul, but most people decided that the writing styles were different enough that it couldn't have been written by him. I do wish the writer had a name, though, because the writer, whoever he was, and let's face it, in the first century, there probably weren't many women writing, whoever he was has given us some of the most important doctrines of our faith in the book of Hebrews, and at least in my opinion, provided a bridge between the God of the Old Testament and the Christ of the New. The writer does that particularly well in chapter 16, where our theme verse is. He begins by encouraging the Hebrews to grow in their new faith. He starts in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. <coughs> the writer is saying, you know all the basic stuff already. It's time to talk about deeper matters of faith. It's time to think about things beyond repentance and resurrection and to explore how we take those things and apply them to our lives. The way of faith is not an easy one, he is saying, and I don't want you to fail at this. Toward that end, the writer closes his sermon, because that's what this is, is a sermon, with the bridge I was talking about, and that bridge is Abraham. Father Abraham, the one whose story every single one of these people knew already. The story of God's promise and the decades-long, uncertainty-filled journey toward the fulfillment of that promise. A promise to which Abraham would cling because it was made by God himself and then affirmed by God's oath. The writer ends by saying, I want you to know that this promise wasn't just for Abraham, it's for you too. And I would offer to all of us as well. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, safe and secure. Maybe it's just me, but if we read that too quickly, I think we can pay too much attention to the greatly encouraged part. And quite frankly, that sounds an awful lot like a Hobby Lobby or a Pinterest hope and not much like the ugly, slimy, barnacle-covered hope that it is going to take for us, that it took for those young Christians to keep their boats from slipping away from the dock, their boats from drifting away on the sea, their boats from capsizing in a storm. The book of Hebrews mentions Abraham and his, as Nietzsche put it, long obedience in the same direction, some 12 times, <coughs> using words like waiting patiently and even though he did not know where he was going. In Romans, Paul does him one better, in my opinion, in chapter 4, verse 18, when he says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Have you ever been there? When you were hoping against hope? When there wasn't any reason to hope? When anybody that asked you why were you hoping and you couldn't have come up with a reason, that's the kind of hope we're talking about here. This is the kind of hope that is an anchor. Hope that makes no sense, can be justified by nothing more than the knowledge that God keeps his promises. 
we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Before we go any further, I think it's important for us to talk a little bit about the fact that the writer's using a symbol here. We use symbols all the time, and I don't know that we always take the opportunity to think about where they come from and why we need them. As most of you would know, the anchor has long been a symbol for the Christian faith ever since the early days of the church. And there are a lot of theories about how this happened. One of them is something like this, that at the time of Christ's crucifixion and the birth of the church, the anchor was already considered a secular symbol for security and safety. And because the Christians had to be underground and had to protect themselves from persecution, they just adopted the anchor as a symbol because they knew that nobody would pick up on it. Another theory is that this verse that we're studying today was actually the impetus, that when the writer wrote this particular verse, uh, the new Christians went, hey, that's a great idea, let's just use the anchor as our symbol and we can communicate with each other in secret by using that. There is one other theory, and I don't want to bore you, but I think this one's so interesting, I wanted to share it. In Revelation 14, 13, uh, the writer says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. To the early Christians, to die in the Lord meant, and of course still means to us today, to die in the hope of resurrection. In Greek, which is the language in which Revelation was written, the phrase in the Lord is in kyrio, which happens to sound a lot like the Greek word in kira, which means anchor. A lot of people who agree with this theory think that because the two words sounded so much alike that Christians adopted anchor as a symbol of to die in the hope of resurrection. Now, none of us know what the real story is about why Christians began using anchors to, to stand for themselves. And we do know that when Constantine adopted Christianity as the official religion of the Roman Empire, the cross became the primary symbol. But for many, many Christians... They maintained the anchor as the primary symbol of their faith. And I think that we can probably understand why when we consider what an anchor does and what it is used for. And that's what I want to spend some time talking to you about now. Before we talk about the anchor specifically, I want to make one more point about metaphors. And I know I'm sounding a lot like an English teacher, but, you know, I kind of maybe should have been one. Um, <coughs> In 2011, two research psychologists named Paul Thibodeau and Lyra Boratisky asked this question of, do metaphors influence the way we think about things? And what they were asking was, when we talk about the big issues of life, purpose, meaning, love, family, community, responsibility, hope, does the metaphor make a difference in how we look at it? And um, the results of their study determined a couple of things. One of them is that metaphors don't just give us a way of looking at things, they actually affect the way we look at them. It can make a difference. For example, let's say we have a group of people in a community coming together and they want to address a problem of the rising crime rate in their town. If they talk about that as um, a crime wave, that's what they're calling this, this rising crime rate. The, the idea of a wave connotes the power of the ocean or the power of a great river, these forces, these physical forces that can't be tamed. If you refer instead to the crime epidemic, which carries with it the idea of sickness and the need for care and healing, 
Which one of those two viewpoints do you think is going to accomplish more toward feeling like we have the power to do something about this? I believe there's power in words. I believe that what we say and how we say it makes a difference. And so these researchers confirmed that. And they confirmed that even the use of a single word like anchor can have a powerful influence on how people addressed things. But the more important thing to me is it has an influence and has the power on us without us even knowing it. So when we read that verse, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul without us even thinking about how it's affecting us, it is by virtue of what we already know about anchors. So let's talk about anchors. There are three times that a ship is going to be using an anchor in port, in the calm, and in the storm. Number one, an anchor in port. Those of you who know me or have read anything I've ever written know that one of my favorite places in the world is St. Simon's Island. And there's something about standing on that beach with the dunes and the sunset behind me that, that centers me, that reminds me of who I am and whose I am. I've told some friends before that that, that place is my tuning fork. That said, I don't have a whole lot of experience actually on the water, just sort of looking at it. But on one, one occasion not long ago, um, ran into some friends down there who the next day were going to go out on their sailboat. Now, I had never been out on a real sailboat. I'd been out on a Hobie craft, you know, but not a real sailboat with big sails and stuff like that. And it just so happens, and I prefer to believe that this was like a thing from the Holy Spirit, but just the day before, I had bought my very first pair of deck shoes ever, like real deck shoes. And I bought them at Belt at what I'm sure was their biggest sale of the year, you know. <laughs> and so I go out on the sailboat, and we had this wonderful time, and we we're whipping around St. Simon's Sound, and the sails are flapping, you know, that loud sound they make, and, and the sun is just twinkling on the water like diamonds. And I just kept saying to myself, I feel like a Kennedy. <laughs> and, and it was just, it was, it was magic. Now, the thing about this is I'd never done it before, and it is ordinarily my nature to be a little timid about that kind of stuff and maybe to be a little bit afraid, but I wasn't. I wasn't afraid because I knew there was an anchor on board. I knew that we had gone out in the water prepared. I knew that before my friend had ever set sail, everything was there already. And so I would ask you to consider Where's your port? Where did you first take on the anchor of hope that you as a believer in Christ have? Was it at the kitchen table of the house where you grew up, if you grew up with Christian parents? Or was it in the Sunday school class of the church that you went to when you were a kid? Or maybe it was the college ministry that you got pulled into when you came to Georgia Southern or some other college. Where was it that you understood for the first time that hope was something you had to carry with you before you set out into the world. You get anchors in port. You can't wait until you're somewhere else to get it. And that's what we have to do. We have to learn those foundational principles of hope in port. An anchor in the calm, point two. 
A ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. I know you've heard that quote before. You've probably heard it lots of times over the years, and it has been attributed to everybody from Albert Einstein to Admiral Grace Hopper. It was actually first published in a little book by a man named John Shedd, who was just collecting old sayings. So even though John Shedd first published it, we still don't know who said it first. But the thing about old sayings is that they keep being repeated over and over again because they're truth, and we recognize them. A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. So there you are in port, and you've got your anchor, you've got everything you need, but are you going to sit there forever? Are you just going to sit in port? Sooner or later, the ship, if that ship is a believer who has been changed with the charged with the idea of being a fisher of men, among other things, is going to leave the port and head out into the water where the fish are. It is tempting at times, especially when the enthusiasm of young faith is still bubbling up inside us or when we have a new preacher or a new program going on, uh, when life's going smoothly and the waters are calm, to be less attentive to that idea of making sure that everything on your boat is, is right, that you have everything you need when you're going out. It's easy to take off on the boat on the spur of the moment without making sure that the anchor and the road, which is a word I, I learned, R-O-D-E, that's the chain or the rope that connects the anchor to the boat, are in good shape. And it's normal to be a little less diligent when the sky's blue and the breeze is balmy. But let me tell you something. Things happen when the sky is blue and the breeze is balmy. According to the 2017 report of the United States Coast Guard, there were 2,480 accidents involved in the operation of vessels, including 295 deaths and 1,727 injuries. Now, of those nearly 2,500 accidents, only 198 of those were weather-related. The rest of those things happened when it was clear skies. Bad things happened when the weather was just fine, thank you very much. The most interesting statistic of all to me was that if you take out the weather and medical conditions, uh, the large majority of the accidents, injuries, and fatalities resulted from some sort of, yeah, human failure. There were 31 accidents and 13 injuries that resulted from what they classified as improper anchoring. And those are just the ones that are reported because we all know that if there were men involved, there were, I'm, I'm sorry, Robbie, but the, 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 there were probably a lot of improper anchoring events that were not reported. A scientific study completed in 2016 found that seven in 10 deaths are fueled by diet and lifestyle factors. Study after study indicates that among the top reasons for divorce are infidelity and addiction. And how many times have you been faced with one of your children's poor grade, or if you can remember that far back, your own, knowing that it has nothing to do with lack of ability or inferior teaching, but simply failure to be prepared? A significant number of the problems we face, including discouragement and sharing our faith, are the results of things we could have prevented could have prevented. The vessels that are our bodies, the boats that are our bodies, can't simply be left out in the open sea to drift. We can't just slather on the sunscreen, sit back on the deck chair, and enjoy the scenery. 
because water moves. Even in the absence of a storm, water will carry that which floats in it. Rivers have currents, oceans have tides. It is one of the things that draws us to water, fresh or salt, pond or lake or sea. It is one thing, and yet it is constantly changing. As Heraclitus said, a man or woman can never step in the same river twice. It is not without reason that writers for centuries have used water as a metaphor for life. And in this scripture, though the writer does not specifically make that reference, it's easily inferred because where do you need an anchor except in the water? Where does one need hope more than in this life, even in its best moments? But best moments don't last. So point three, an anchor in the storm. And of course, at this point, you're all saying, oh, okay, now she's getting there. Because that's what we want to hear about. This is where the rubber meets the road. Because, let's face it, even if you don't know a thing about sailing, if you have been in church for even two weeks, and that could be Protestant or Catholic, contemporary, traditional, liturgical, whatever it is, you have either heard a sermon or a Sunday school lesson or sung a song about a storm. Okay? We all know them. In fact, we've sung some already here. It is a wonderful, again, metaphor. There's a reason why songwriters in particular have been drawn to the images of storms. They're vivid, there's lots of sounds and colors to draw from, and they're ubiquitous. Nobody, nobody gets through life without experiencing them. It's that latter point that's gonna get our attention. Walking through the ordinary challenges of life, the ordinary challenges, things like the unexpected home repair, the difficulty of a coworker, or Lord help us, that last straw on your camel's back when you're just trying to get out of Walmart with three items and there is not an open checkout line. <laughs> Those things need hope. But the storms, they require a double dose, a second helping, a special kind of hope. Interestingly enough, there is a nautical world parallel. There is a special kind of anchor used in a storm. It is called a sea anchor, and it has some very special characteristics. First of all, contrary to what you might think, instead of tethering the boat to the seabed, which to non-sailors might seem to be the thing to do, the sea anchor keeps the ship moving in the storm. It increases the drag through the water to act as a break against the wind and waves. The ship can then sail directly into the wind and waves, which is sort of counterintuitive to those of us who live on the land, and it prevents the ship from turning broadside where it would then be overwhelmed by the wind and the waves. I hope all of you had Sunday school teachers as good as I did when I was a little kid. And I hope that when they told you the story about the storm that ended up with Jonah in the belly of the whale, or the one that ended up with Jesus saying, peace, be still, or the one that ended up with Paul being shipwrecked, that they painted pictures so vivid 
that you know how frightening it would be to be caught in that storm. I've actually been out on a boat in the middle of a storm, and I will tell you, it was one of the most frightening times of my life. One of the things that I learned from that experience is that it's not the rain that makes it so scary. It is the wind and the waves. The wind that makes the waves and the waves that tilt the boat off center. And so we're talking about the sea anchor that says, I'm going to take you right into it. That's what we do. We're going right into it. Whether you've had the literal experience of riding out a storm or not, I know, I know without knowing every one of you that you have been through the other kind of storm, the metaphorical one, the one that comes up out of nowhere, that obliterates the sun, that rocks your boat and your world, the dreaded diagnosis, the broken relationship, the loss of resources. One of the first things that we experience in those situations is emotional catatonia. We can't move. We don't want to move. To move is to acknowledge that something just happened, that the storm is upon us. We want to tether ourselves to where we are, to the way things have always been up until that moment when the storm arrived. But hope that is always with us, says no. Hope responds with, there is more to this than you can see. Hope says, everything will be okay in the end, and if it's not okay, it's not the end. And you and I are going to move together toward that end. Hope says we're going to head straight into the waves, straight into the wind, straight into the illness and heartbreak and need that is trying to overwhelm you. I am here to keep you moving. I will not let you capsize. I will not let you be overwhelmed. I am as good as God's promise, as true as his oath. I want you to pay close attention to a couple of ways that the anchor works in the storm situation. First of all, the sea anchor is always at the back of the boat, behind the person doing the sailing, out of view, but present, always present, invisibly doing its job. The time in which we live is not much on the invisible. Despite the fact that, you know, we carry around these things that, that everything in the world is right at our fingertips, we still pretend to not believe in the, in the invisible. We want everything to be something that we can see. We don't talk much about the work of the Spirit. We are hesitant to admit that things unseen are real, alive, and working in the world. But here in the very concrete, very real, very practical anchor we see that its work, its power, is invisible. In the moment when it is needed the most, in the midst of the storm, it is invisible. Sisters, we aren't always going to see God at work in our lives. Whether we are in the midst of the storm 
or as I heard Beth Moore say one time, we're just about to go in or we're just coming out because it's always going to be one of those three. We aren't ever going to have peripheral vision, but what we are going to have, what we do have, is hope. The last point I want to make about the anchor's purpose in the storm is this. We cannot lose sight of the fact that without hope propelling us through the storm, keeping us moving into the wind and waves, we would remain within the storm. We'd never make it out. And by remaining in the storm, we will most certainly be turned sideways, swamped by the waves of adversity and uncertainty. Hope is what says this isn't all there is. This moment isn't the last moment. These clouds have only hidden the sun, not obliterated. Keep looking ahead and watch me move us through this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, safe and secure. It is time for our break. And as we continue to worship together in music and fellowship, and before I come back, I want that you, I want you to give yourself a minute or two to figure out where you and your anchor are right now. Are you in port? Are you in that place in your life where you are just learning what it means to have hope on your boat, hope as a part of what you are doing in this life? Are you sailing in a calm? Is everything going pretty well? Do you need to make sure that the anchor's there and you hadn't overlooked it? Are you battling a storm? And wherever you are, how are you using your anchor? <laughs>